Today's episode is brought to you by Explore STL. ExploreSTL.com is your resource to all things St. Louis. Where to eat, what to see, what to do, where to sleep, where to take your selfie, and so much more. So go check it out, ExploreSTL.com, and enjoy the show. What's up, what's up? Howdy, howdy. We're back. We are um, Here's where we're at. I'm rolling us in here with a little uh, Zach Brown band. Yeah. Colder weather. It because it just feels like it fits. We we haven't we haven't had this kind of weather in long long time, man. These uh, sub zero temps the last few days. When was the last time? Do you remember? Like consistently negative. Yeah, like actual temperature with wind chill that literally is just a middle finger. There's not even like a degree symbol. I think about two years ago we had a similar situation in February for a couple of days in a row where we were in the single digits, if not negative. It's crazy. And we were in Detroit this weekend, Jared and I, with uh, Mandy and um, a couple other folks from the city group. And uh, I don't know if I've ever been that cold. Up north? I, yeah, I had to return a rental car and then pick up another one because all of our flights were canceled. So we decided to drive from Detroit all the way back to St. Louis uh, instead of trying to mess with more cancellations. In fact, our flight out to Detroit was canceled Friday. Flight home on Sunday was canceled. So we just took it in our own hands. But returning that rental car and walking across the street with to get yeah. the other one. Little planes, oh. trains, and automobiles. Oh, yeah. It's fun. Good times. Uh, that's not a pillow. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I'm sure Mandy didn't say that. Um, no. um no. we're back for another episode, man. Uh just two of us today. Old J Rod. I don't know what he's doing. He's got this phobia of Zoom calls, I think. <laughs> no, he's got a family event tonight and he wasn't going to be able to make it. So mm. He's here in spirit though. Yeah, he's probably polishing his lawnmower or something. <laughs> We're going to get this thing going. We've had we've had a really good run here recently, uh, the new year. Um, just kind of recapping the last few episodes. Uh, we just, tremendous feedback and support. Uh, I'm going to go a couple back, starting with uh, our friend Sam Fink from over in Eville, Edwardsville. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the the text messages and commentary continue to roll in on that one. It's just it's just one of those episodes that is extremely motivating. It makes it really hard to not just be a big fan of his, even if you never watched him play. When you listen to the description and his stories, um, he he meant a lot to a lot of people. So uh, go back check that one out. Following him up, we had Chuck Nash from <laughs> Clemson University and 
uh, leader of all things chicken wing out of F bag in Fenton. Um, you know, in just a totally different angle. Uh, Chuck has a little bit more confidence on the mic <laughs> as, a, as a human than Sam does, uh, but justifiably so. Uh, you know, he put up or shut up. You know, it's one of those things. Uh, you know, first first national title, Clemson scored a lot of goals. Um, just super entertaining in a completely different way. Um, I, I had fun I, with that one too. I do love the 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 just the variety of topics and types of folks that we've had on the show. And and Sam obviously was one of my favorite players to watch. And then he's become one of my favorite humans to know. And Chuck Nash is just one of those characters. I mean, he's just a, a he's the main character in any room he's in. And um, he's so much fun to talk to. And he's got such an interesting background with so many stories. So yeah, both both worth the uh, go back and listen to. Um, so like like Zach said, go go get caught up. Check these out. And then over on Soccer Mom Sunday side, uh, we've had uh, a, uh, Katie Shields a couple episodes back, SLU women's head coach. Um, you, look, if numbers mean anything, her numbers are killing it, uh, telling me that people really like it. They're sharing it. Uh, a nice little tutorial. If you've got one coming up through the high school ranks who's considering – college soccer at all I, I don't care what level that's almost a must listen to just for the feedback just for uh the, the the culture expectations things like that really cool episode to check out and then we had um a little kmox flavor uh, let's see here i've got them backwards uh because we've had debbie monterey and the last episode, sorry, I'm checking my notes. Hey, Megan Lynch, um, both from KMOX, both are athletic parents. Um, they're pros on the mic, and their stories are a lot of fun. So go check it out. Uh, I want to go ahead and thank those that continue to support the show uh, from a corporate standpoint uh, and just a friendship standpoint, friendship first, uh, Ambush. Ambush is having a little bit of a rough go to you know trying to accumulate some w's uh it's still a long season but they got games coming up super affordable take the family you don't have to worry about those sub-zero temps it's about 65 to 70 year round inside there super fast-paced action go check it out um explore st louis dot is what it's you know where you can go and check it out but explore st louis the org they do everything to aggregate what is going on, what to eat, what to see, where to sleep in St. Louis proper and, and really the county as well. Go check it out because there's just so much shit going on, which brings me to something I wanted to bring up. Um, you, you know me, huge music fan. You're a music fan too. Yep. Um, yep. One of my secret uh, passions is actually the symphony. Oh. I love I, I love St. Louis Symphony Orchestra SLSO. Yeah, I love the vibe. I love the feel. I I like when they do cool stuff that's outside the box. You know, there's nothing wrong with Brahm or or Beethoven or any of the classics, right? But when they do the stuff outside the box, and I think you guys went, didn't you go see um, Star Wars we did, or? We went to a couple. We went to a Harry Potter, and we went to. Um, 
a Disney movie. Oh, Ratatouille. Yeah. Uh, and it was <clears throat> phenomenal. And then I know that they just recently did a movie. What movie was that? Didn't you go to one recently? Uh, the only ones I've been to is uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, two of the Star Wars, mm, those three. Or no, no, no. We did Indiana Jones a number of years back, too. Oh, okay. But it's a lot of, uh, check, yeah, check, check this one out, though. This is coming down the, the pipe. It is Brahms, spelled B-R-A-H-M-S, mm-hmm. meets Radiohead. Whoa. Right? So what they're doing is the OK Computer album and Brahm, and they're doing it at Stiefel. So they're moving from the symphony, uh, home court, just down the road, a little bit more of a rock and roll vibe at Stiefel. So that's in February. Check it out uh, if you're interested and you like either of them or both of them or even neither of them, you still should go, because it's going to be pretty cool to see a symphony pull off Radiohead. Yeah, I think that will be quite the entertainment. Because Radiohead's not a traditional... I mean, they're they're a pretty unique band. Um, and pair them with some classical music. That should be an interesting entertainment. Hey, let's get, in, let's get into uh, Pinnacle points of the day chris bill and crew over the pinnacle loans.com um you're in the market for a house need one selling one need uh you're growing out of yours hit them up they make the process easy the pinnacle loans.com check it out and let's get into our favorite part of the show one of our favorite parts of the show pinnacle points of the day you had a couple yeah. uh lined up you go ahead and kick it off yeah, and I, I, I hope I'm not stealing one because I forgot about this one, but one of your guests on Soccer Mom Sunday, Alex Pfeiffer, who was one of the youngest to ever sign a U.S. Women's uh, or a, a NWSL contract, is now getting to call up the U-17 World Cup this summer, um, and she's made the roster. So that's a very exciting step forward for her as well. Um, do, you, just do, you, do you think more- Kansas City will claim... <laughs> will, they, will they claim the pedigree of Alex's call-up? You can guarantee they will. Um, <laughs> and I'm surprised I haven't seen social media yet from, um, you know, the KC Current touting their starlet going to um, the World Cup. But regardless, it's it's awesome for her and her family uh, and for for our our city again, just, you know, kind of producing more and more international talent so good for alex yeah congratulations alex and family um totally well deserved um i got a pinnacle point of the day for you and it starts with a capital h called hypocrisy um (laughs) (laughs) uh coming from the world of the nfl where nfl meets pop culture um i love how people are absolutely losing their minds over Tay Tay and the yeah. Chiefs and the 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 bad mojo that she's kind of like bringing down the pipe and you know the team's distracted and she's hurting us and then you just go one time zone to the east and a little bit further north and you look at what's going on in Detroit 
because Mr. Marshall Mathers has been making an appearance at uh, their games. And the same people who think Taylor is cancerous think, you know, Eminem is just the second coming. And I love it. I find it so p- pathetically funny. Well, and, and not to get political, but it's just it's ironic in the same sense that people who claim that, you know, athletes and actors should just shut up and dribble or, you know, keep off their pedestals also voted in somebody who. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we're, yeah, we won't go down that road. It's... No, no, I'm just saying that it's just the, 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 the hypocrisy of saying one thing and then having the other. It's just interesting, but I, I agree with you. Yeah, well, and then the other one was uh, the one in the middle, <laughs> the the former NFLer that that stuck his finger into the mix, uh, Mr. P- uh, Brett Favre, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, going after Taylor and her involvement, and I believe he's actually in an Eminem video somewhere. So that's my yeah. that's my one one of my pinnacle points of the day: Eminem versus Tay Tay in the NFL. So uh, what else you got? I know you had a few on your list today. They're all kind of similar in the fact that, you know, we've got Nico Ciocchini, one of our stars from our first season as City, uh, is is our first kind of homegrown guy going abroad to Serie B, so the second league in Italy. And all the fees that City gets for that, is kind of how we're built, right? As an organization is to develop players and, and sell them overseas if we can for money. Um, and Nico, hate to see him go because I think he was quite the spark up top, especially when Klaus was out. But, you know, that's really good news for Nico and his family. And I think for the city team as, as a whole um, to have somebody in that first year who was really kind of unknown, get so much attention and, and, and demand command such a, a fee uh did they release the number i even i didn't go deep it's diving still on that. De- i think they're still debating but i think it's going to be you know a seven figure deal um in the one to three million dollar range is what i've been hearing so well, well i mean that's that's multiple x's above what the expense was so you know it, it is the model of uh, global soccer for a lot of these powerhouse teams you know there, there's a reason why their academies are so important it, it is because of exactly this um so that you can develop players ideally you want them on the first team if they're really really performing but your 1b benefit is cash value to other markets on top you know well exceeding your investment so congratulations to nico congratulations to the team uh, for both for pulling this off, I, you know, it, it's a good message for everybody involved, really. Um, I've got another pinnacle point for you. Um, th- this one is uh, stemming from the world of X, uh, the illustrious Alexi Lalas, who loves to uh, stir the pot. The other day there was a, there was a Q&A, kind of a TikTok thing that was going on out at the United Coaches Association the convention, national convention held out in Sacramento or Anaheim, something like that. Uh, and they had uh, start uh, start bench cut. And the three names were Pulisic, 
uh, Donovan and Dempsey. And right out of the gate, did did you see this? Did you? No. Alexi, first, what he said right out of the gate, Pulisic cut. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, and and I kind of like stalled out at that point, and I believe it was – uh, Landon start and and uh, and uh, Dempsey bench, and yeah. I, f- I just found it like I don't know a little tone deaf because he is important as he is to U.S. soccer. He being Alexi Lalas, even in retirement, you would think there would be some. You know, let's walk a fine line here because he's covering games. You know. Um, which involves the current roster, which obviously includes our boy Christian Pulisic, and it's sometimes he just he just should stop because you know Pulisic is doing so. You know, well, let me back up. Landon Donovan had the potential to be a European American star. Kind of got a little bit of uh, cold feet. Came to MLS. Dempsey had the chip on his shoulder, went to Europe. He became a true American star with almost an equally as bright star in England at Fulham with all the goals he was scoring there, Champions League, etc., or Europa League and beyond. Pulisic is now, you know, and I believe this is your next pinnacle point, uh, well, why don't you toss it out there and let's talk about Pulisic in, in today's terms. Yeah, I mean, the guy just became um, the player of the month <laughs> in Italy. His first season in the league after leaving Chelsea has several goals, couple assists, and just doing some great work over there. And for, I don't know if any American has done that. I'm sure I can fact check that. But to do that in the, what, fourth month of the, of your first season um, after being so injury prone with Chelsea. Um, it just, it's just amazing. And for somebody like Lalas to say cut, it, it's just, it's just his MO now. It's, it's whatever you can do to piss off the most amount of people, I think is, is what he goes for, to be honest. <laughs> I don't think he really knows what he's saying or believes what he's saying. I think he just does it for clicks. Well, it's kind of the same thing we do to Kansas. So oh, very much. So. I can't hate him that much. Yeah. All right, man, here we go. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to roll us out here with some more cold music. Cold by Mr. Chris Stapleton. Um, And when when we come back, we're going to go out to the D.C. area for our guest of the day, who um, just happens to be a good old-fashioned GC kid on top of all this. You're excited, aren't you? Pumps. Pumps, pumps, pumps. (laughs) All right. We'll be back after this break. We'll catch you on the flip side. I'm Max, and I'm nine years old. When I'm not playing soccer, jumping on a trampoline, or playing Xbox, with permission, of course, I listen to the Baked In Podcast with Josh Allen. Josh talks to some of the most incredible business leaders in St. Louis. From Maxine Clark of Build-A-Bear to Gerard Kraft, the chief flavor officer for my favorite team, St. Louis City SC. There's something for everyone. If you are interested in the secret sauce of success, 
check out the Baked In Podcast. Now, back to those old guys. All right, we're back. Little break, little Zoom break. Usually we take that time to go get some refills. Zach, do you even, are you, you got anything in front of you? Or are you pulling one of those dry January, whatever? Uh, no, I'm not doing dry January. Um, just doing dry Wednesday afternoon right now. It's so funny you said it that way because I literally was laying in bed last night. Couldn't sleep thinking of the people in my life that have attempted, are attempting dry January. And I'm like, number one, I, I would never do it. Number two, I don't think I could do it. Number three, why just start with dry Monday. Start with one. Yeah, the way to go. You or know, dry Mondays. Try dry Wednesday and then maybe a, maybe a Thursday. We'll see. No, I <clears throat> I did. I'm, I'm not a religious person, so to speak, but I did a, a Lent one time and did 40 days. 40 so days than, with what? No alcohol at all. Oh, my God. About three years ago. So, and, and, how'd, and how'd you feel after that? Um, fine. <laughs> Did you feel healthier? No, it was unremarkable. How, um, but okay, so how much fun was that first drink? Um, it was fine. It was it was fine. <laughs> I just I you know I I I am also aware that people have challenges with it, and so I respect their choices. Um, but I like you in that. If I can and do it safely, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, if it, it, well, we won't even get it. That's a whole other pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our guest is sitting here wondering what, what the hell? Come on, let's get, let's get past this forty day thing and dry whatever. Uh, without further ado, I'm gonna bring on our guest today, Mike Bristol. Um, fellow Granite City alum, Western Illinois alum, now father of two, living out on the East Coast, right? You're East Coast? Yep, Northern Virginia. Well, there you go. Well, first off, thank you for joining us, man. How you doing? Yeah, doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we, uh, so off mic, um, or on mic, before we were recording, um, you know, kind of running through things with you. Uh, you know, question we always ask: Hey, have you had a chance to listen to any of the shows? You you said that you have. I gotta yep. ask because you know we're now approaching Zach. What number are we at? One fifth, one fourteen, one fifteen. Uh, yeah, somewhere in there. Who who who'd you listen to? Uh, let's see. It was Duran. I think I listened to Jared Embick. Um, the tribute to Coach Baker. So there were three different ones. A little, a little, a little tribute to the GC there. Yeah. Well, I I mentioned this uh, before we got started, but I want to mention it on air for those that are listening. Uh, first off, congratulations on your uh, your path to date. Uh, you've you've really been ratcheting up the ladder, kind of dipping and dodging through the coaching scenes and landing at some super big programs, and now. You're uh, over in the NWSL world. Can you kind of give our listeners a little bit of a, a simplistic bio, a little bit of a recap so that we can get into your early career and uh, let, paint a picture as to, you know, why and where it all came from for, for you? Yeah, I think really it started when I was still in high school and started making side money training goalkeepers that were younger than me. 
And then I uh, went off to college, and instead of getting a job when I'd come home from the summers, I'd train players uh, and get paid and was doing better than most people that had a real job. I was like, this is all right. So... Well, I remember I remember those days because you were you were a goalkeeper really from the get go. I don't think I remember you ever playing another position. Well, uh, I didn't play in in the goal until I was a freshman in high school. Yeah. Well, so in the club days, I played on the field, and then when our goalkeeper would get hurt, I would step in, and, and had done pretty well with it, and then made the full transition once I was in high school, which helped especially at that time with. The goalkeeper being able to pick up the ball way back when on a pass back <laughs> and then that transitioning <laughs> happening was pretty advantageous for me since i had been on the field for a while uh, before that well so back in the day i remember you as a player as a goalkeeper because uh some of the other goalies at the time uh year up for me would have been timmy henson yeah. and then within our age group we had uh um, Corey Cooper came over, you know, from Collinsville, and then we had yep. um, Tommy Dalton in goal, and then uh, who was the dark-haired uh, that was class of '94, one one year up from you? Um, oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, but specifically, though, what I want to do is, is mention I remember watching you play because you tended to be equal parts. Athlete slash bowling ball slash, you know, <laughs> controlled chaos. Like I remember, I would say you, that's an accurate description. <laughs> you were fairly fearless. Um, yes. Do you rem do you remember it that way? And at what point did you remember, or do you think it started to click for you that the goalkeeping position is where you wanted to be, and where and 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 maybe where you needed to be. I think that I had a passion for it. I always enjoyed it um, when I was playing in the club and then somebody would get hurt and I would go in and, and typically for whatever reason, I performed a little bit better than them, but I wasn't doing it all the time, but I really enjoyed it. So when we were playing pickup. Sometimes I would just get into the goal. And then once I started doing it, you know, through my freshman year and getting help, Tim Henson was a senior at that time that was helping me out a fair amount. Um, I think when I started getting a little better tutelage and coaching is when I really started going, yeah, this is, this is pretty fun. Uh, it just occurred to me, one of the other names, Donnie Murphy, he would have been. Yeah. 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 Donnie Murphy. Yep. So, um, I don't, I don't Dave, wanna... Dave Kasprovich was in there. That's it. Um, that was a goalkeeper as well. That was quite good. So, so a lot of the people that listen to the show, they know, they know that I, that I'm from Granite as well. They, they're familiar and aware of the legacy uh, that is uh, Coach Baker in particular. Uh, I would be remiss to not ask your th thoughts on uh, the late coach um, and what what he meant to you both as a player and kind of that crossover into who you've become as a coach. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I became a coach probably because of him. Um, he used to, I remember him getting me out of class and coming in, we were going over scouting reports and, <laughs> and he always looked at it as being a coach from behind the team. Um, so I think that's when I really started to get to see um, the, the coaching side of it. Now, when I was younger player and he was going over that, I was terrified uh, as he was going through things. But then as I got older and had probably some better questions of why we were doing certain things and started getting to have a good relationship with him. Um, because I think there's a point where 
you're in a, you were in a little bit of fear of him um, and how things were going to go on. And then as time went on, then it got to where you were more, you could speak with him and you weren't terrified. Um, so it, it, as I got into being a senior and then doing a lot of the, the scouting reports and that he would bring in and kind of individually go with it um, with me and talk about coaching the team. And I think that was a strength for me was the communication. I was pretty loud, a pretty loud person just by general nature. Um, and then as I went on, you know, he always kept up with all of us. And I always would try to, to come back when I would be home for the holidays and go by and see him. Um, but I think he really taught me what it was to be prepared and to work, um, especially, you know, nobody was doing scouting reports in those days. You'd have the, the schematics or some crazy film that he somehow got his hands on that he was putting on the TV in his room. Um, so being prepared and being detailed um, and the attention to detail, I think really helped me as I was going through and starting to get into the coaching. Cool. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I just always admire the folks that do come on from GC that, that talk about Baker. And I was doing a little prep for meeting you for the first time and ran into an article back from like 2013 or 2014 where you were listed amongst in the article itself, I think 10 other coaches that were currently coaching that had worked uh, under or played under Baker. And I think that number's grown to double digits almost um, across the country. And I think you've already answered the question, which is uh, I usually ask, which is how did you decide to get into coaching? But I think it was just beer money is what it sounds like. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But I also am fascinated by um, men specifically who choose to coach women's um, sports. And you have had a phenomenal career at one of the most prestigious soccer institutes in the world, which is Florida State for women. Um, and I'd love to hear just kind of your your story about, about Florida State. You can, you can even talk about Maryland prior to that. And then I want to get into the spirit eventually. But let's let's start with maybe Florida State and your experiences there. I think the uh... I think it was by accident in terms of coaching females. Um, the first goalkeeper I ever coached was a local Granite City um, goalkeeper, Tasha Didimore, who I had a lot of success of developing her. And she went on and I think, I'm not sure if she got into a national team camp or not, but she was on regional teams and had a pretty good career, went on and did well in, in college. So she was the first one that I was still really starting to train quite a bit. And then people found out I was training her and it kind of grew from there. Um, and typically with her being a female, it grew into other females that were coming in to work with me. Um, so that's really where I, I was cutting my teeth at the beginning is, is training females. And then it got bigger of doing it for the club and whoever wanted to sign up could come in. And then um, with the Elks, that they could come in and train with me. And then it really started to open up where I was training with males and females. And then when I was in college at Western Illinois, I did uh, a camp over at, uh, where was the camp at? I think it was Butler, but Jim DeRose had spoke with me and he was on the men's side. And he was like, look, I'd love to hire you. I don't have a, a spot open, but I want us to stay in touch. And then Pete Kowal, who was at Illinois State, was looking for somebody and Jim called me and said, hey, look, this is a great guy. It'd be a good opportunity for you to go in and work there. So I went in there for my first couple of years and then it just kind of started escalating from there. So then you, you do a decent job. Other people start calling you and asking you for jobs and 
continued kind of going from there. So let me ask you, let me ask you this kind of going back to maybe at some point during your, um, collegiate years, when did, when did you know that, you know, you're, you're going to college and getting a degree and you're going through the process, you're looking at post-college life from a career standpoint. When did you know that coaching was, you know, going to move to the top and stay there? So I think that w- when I was in school, I thought that I was going to be a high school teacher and coach. That was my kind of plan, that I was going to be a teacher, my undergrads and secondary education. I went and got a master's in sport management. Um, but I kind of at the beginning, it was like, look, I'm going to do this. And I went through student teaching um, and I enjoyed it, but I wanted to be outside more. <laughs> it was like, I'm not sure I want to be in an office all day long. Um, so then it kind of went a different direction, especially when I knew I was going to have an opportunity to be able to do that. Um, I was asked to actually come back to Granite City and teach at the school, which it was tough for me at that point in time. But I also knew I had the possibility to be able to go ahead and be a full time coach. And that appealed to me a little bit more. I was like, I'll try this. And if it doesn't work, then I can always fall back on that. Right. So so let's talk a little bit about um those the early collegiate years your your first stops as you're as you're moving through the the ranks and you're you know you're wrapping up you know your first season and then your second season as an assistant and you, and it keeps going talk a little bit about your own mindset was the enthusiasm was the challenge was it was it ratcheting higher you know uh, consistently uh, how, how did you how did you stay engaged with it um, and, and and move to the levels that that you ended up reaching? Well, I think I was fortunate when I was going through in the sport management program, I had a lot of guys that were in sports psych that I was really good friends with. So I felt like I was almost getting another major as well. So I was picking their brains all the time about different things that people were doing as coaches and trying to learn that side of it as well. I actually got pulled in with uh, one of the the guys that were there. He was an older gentleman, but he was best friends with the Minnesota Twins top eight, a top uh, recruiter. He was in charge of all the scouting. And I went and spent three days with him one time down in Florida, just learned everything about what they did and stole some of that stuff to do it on the, the soccer side as well. But I wanted to be the best that I could and tried to get out and watch as many people as I could to learn and develop at an early age um, because I wanted to be good. And then when I got in at Illinois State, I don't I don't know why it is, but I, I guess there's a typically a pretty big pecking order with the goalkeepers and how they're treated. And I always tried to treat all of them the same. I always gave them the same rep counts and put the same amount of energy and time into all of them. And that was my first stop there, and they were all kind of blown away by it. And I've still got relationships with those goalkeepers that were at Illinois State when I walked in the door. Um, but they, the, the starter had a, a good career and won some awards in the league and, and played really well, but the other ones developed quite a bit. Um, the second year, the next one came in and, and started as well and did a good job, and then I kind of moved on from there. But I think the biggest thing was, was really just working hard and going out and trying to learn. I was always trying to pick everybody's brain in all areas um, of, of how to develop players. Go ahead, Zach. No, I love that. I mean, I love the kind of sports psychology and, and you referenced Baker was kind of ahead of his time 
with video and, and scouting reports and high school soccer, which it's now just, you have to, it's table stakes. And yes. I think what you're talking about in your Illinois state days is now kind of the same. It's, it's kind of par for the, you, you have to have that in order to be successful. So what other trends or changes are you seeing within the women's game now that you've moved out of the collegiate level into the pros um, and I would love to hear kind of the trends and then I want to hear that story as well, but we can also pause for a break and, and come back to that, the spirit story. But I want to understand that the kind of trends you're seeing within the women's game. Well, I think just in general in sport, one of the biggest um, shifts is probably that recovery is all about sleep. Um, yeah. That's probably the biggest for quite a while before that a lot was done with vision training. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of the, the European clubs were investing heavily into division training the eyes and muscle and, and de actually developing your eye um and now the big thing is you know the the different training grounds in europe some have sleep pods some have their own lodge where players have their own rooms that it's set up like home the same mattress the same air temperature the same light quality um so they feel like they're at home but everybody now has figured out that sleeping and recover is that's the biggest form of recovery for you to be able to perform at elite level um so i think that's one of the biggest ones that are going on you have the aura rings the whoop um bands there's different things that are tracking how much sleep players are getting how much activity they're having how much sleep they need to be um fully recovered so i think that's probably right now one of the biggest emphasis um that are going on specifically in the women's game we're kind of leading the charge in female health um, and recognizing what's going on during different cycles and that every individual is different and how to help them go through the different cycles and allow them to be performing at elite level um, and giving them different things um, that they may go through some little bit more clumsy at a certain time and it may be vision and a light board to get them switched on before they're going out onto the field but we get reports every day of where players are at if there's anything going on but then it also allows you to understand how to deal with them on the field you can understand why if they're struggling a little bit sometimes it's it's a little bit out of their control um so you can recognize hey on this day you're gonna have to be a little bit lighter there's not gonna be a whole lot going on we're just gonna get them through the session um and then there's other times that you know you can push a little bit more so it's it's much more detailed of knowing where the player's at physically um, and probably mentally as well. We've got a couple full-time psychologists on staff, but how, how we're dealing with them in the actual training session. That's really fascinating. And I, I, I know, JB, sorry to cut you off there. I just, that topic is so interesting to me that we are starting to treat, and I think it's been going on for a little while, but we're starting to treat athletes as individuals as opposed to just members of a team. Commodities. And, yeah, not commodities. And I think that's so cool. And I, I just wonder if, if Mike Nichols of, you know, Granite City at that time would have ever thought you would base your training decisions on the data from psychologists and, and others um, before making a training plan. Well, yeah, yeah that, I mean, that's let me let me just add on there, because that 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 is exactly my question, because, you know, no, knowing you well enough to be dangerous, um, was it difficult for you to shift over into um, focusing on and accepting and integrating more of these uh, kind of peripheral sciences as well as mental preparation or mental acuity when you yourself 
you cut your teeth as a grinder. You were in the dirt. It was, it was, look, if you're having a bad day, work harder. You know, that was always the simplistic solution. Was it difficult for you to move into this next gen or this new iteration of focus when it comes to soccer training and preparation? It wasn't. I think that, you know, when we were at Florida State, we always wanted to be leading everybody. We wanted everybody to to be chasing us. So we wanted what was the best technology, what was out there to help improve our players. We had some good contacts at Man U and a couple other top European places that we wanted to know what they were doing because typically they were the ones that were leading it and it was filtering down. So we were typically getting some pretty good information to the point of we were using recovery pants before anybody was. It was an interesting story. Our football staff sent their director of ops all over um, the country, and I think they were in New Zealand someplace. And he was arguing with the the rep that we they already had an account with our school. And they were like, look, I, I'm the one who does all this. We don't have one. No, 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 no. We have an account with your school already. And he got back and it was us. It was our team that had it. He's like, I'm flying all over the world trying to learn what the different trends are. What else are you guys doing? that you can share with us as the football program, because clearly you're out ahead of things. Um, so we always tried to be forward thinking and we want to win. Uh, it was easy when, when you're with somebody that kind of understands the numbers and looking at GPS and the training loads and they start breaking it down for you, why it's so important. Um, you, you're a hell of a lot better coach if the players are out on the field and not sitting next to you hurt. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about winning, and and I want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit more on your Florida State days. Um, you guys, while you were there, I believe you won what, uh, three three national yep. titles. Um, yep. You know, coming from the Midwest, you yourself you played at Western. Uh, you then coach at Illinois State. Um, you know, you navigate down towards Florida State. What was it like going to a program like that that is a true powerhouse that is also a Florida football powerhouse school? Mm-hmm. You know, was there, uh, I have to assume it's not animosity, but was there kind of levels of respect and or disrespect for what you guys were doing at the national level uh, just simply because of the the scale of the football program. Um, what was that relationship like? For the most part, it was fantastic. I think in my time at Florida State, um, there was only one head coach that was there and he wasn't long very for very long on the football side that didn't treat us as equals and kind of thought they were better than everybody else. And it was interesting. He was the worst one and wasn't there long and got fired. Um, the rest of them were absolutely fantastic. And actually, when we, if we were walking a player around, they would go out of their way to come over and speak with them and talk about that they were trying to be at the level that we were and that they were chasing us. And we were very good partners, but we did try to share. I think that when they knew how much effort we were putting into it and knew all the different technology and that we could share ideas, we had an open thing that we would go in a lot and watch them work. Um, you can always pick up something from a coach of how they're using different things or how they're teaching. So it was always fascinating to go in and, and kind of watch them do their training sessions, how they were putting them together um, and try to take things away from what they were doing. It may be how they set up an activity that you kind of think of it a different way that you can 
um, use it as well. But we had a really good relationship that we could come into their their building and watch anytime that we wanted to. Um, so it was, uh, it, I think it was unique talking to a lot of other coaches at other schools, but we were fortunate in that regard. Uh, I got to follow up really more about the, <clears throat> the landscape that is um, the women's game at the collegiate level, specifically in the southeastern portion of the United States, because on the men's side, you have kind of the blue blood schools uh, from the ACC. You've got your, your, your Big East kind of traditional powerhouses, obviously within the Big Ten with uh, schools like Indiana, et cetera, and then the, the, the Stanford's on the West Coast. The very clearly defined kind of regional powers that have accumulated those stars on the crest. In the women's game, I was it, it really surprises me. The more that we do this show, and you know, I, I'm also I sit in the backseat on Soccer Mom Sunday, and she, and Jen, the host there, has had a lot of collegiate uh, uh, women coaches and, and people involved there. It's a different landscape geographically. Like I'm, yes. bl- I'm blown away by how dominant kind of the southeastern region is. Can you speak to that? Is there something that is quote in the water or some reason why that the, the 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 pedigree has been so high is it recruiting is it backyard is it both is it just the weather's a hell of a lot nicer than wisconsin in you know in december what 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 is the draw to that part of the region as it pertains to d1 women's soccer well i think that you know, in, in particular for us at Florida State, I think it was the ACC because typically you could have two to three teams at the Final Four that were ACC teams. So typically teams want to play against other good competition. And when most of the league, for the majority of the time that I was there, you would have anywhere from eight to ten teams in the top 25 that were in the ACC. Mm-hmm. So – in terms of recruiting and be able to talk to, to different players about, look, you're going to be playing good games, game in and game out. You want to be able to compete. And then non-conference wise, we're going to go out and play the best teams that there were. Um, so I think that helped probably all of us in the ACC. The PAC 12 was the other one that, that typically would have a team that would be in the final four. You've got Stanford, UCLA, USC. Um, so they, they had kind of a little chunk. And then, you know, the, the Big Ten, uh, Penn State coming out of there, um, they were a team that, that made some appearances at the Final Four, but typically it was the ACC and the Pac-12 that you would look, and with all the rankings, that it would be ACC 1 and then Pac-12 2. Um, so I think the players kind of naturally were gravitating sure. towards those conferences even before I got into the conference. Do, do you find it ironic or just a touch like hard to swallow or, or, or understand when you see names now like uh, Arkansas and Mizzou and SEC schools that, you know, because we're kind of, we're watching the recruiting news coming out of our own backyard because obviously there's a lot of players here in the region that are going to those big programs. Those are schools that you don't think about when you think of uh, division one soccer. Especially not back when we were playing. No. Um, but no, Colby Hale, who came from uh, Central Florida, he was an assistant there, and they did a good job. We played against them a fair amount. He's done a really good job of building Arkansas into a, a power and competing on the national stage. 
But I think as the games continue to go on and, you know, the SEC obviously has a quite a bit of money and they're pumping money into their facilities and bringing in good staff. Um, Kidani at Georgia, you know, he came from USC and all of a sudden he's winning the, the SEC championship right away um, to rebuild Georgia. And it didn't take him long and I knew it wouldn't take him long, but he's somebody that right away they're going to be in the hunt. I would, I would imagine the next couple of years they're going to be in final fours, but some of those schools are really committing and paying and allowing those, you know, redoing their facilities and bringing in the right staffs. Um, they're going to be able to, to develop their programs. Go ahead, Zach. You're muted, Zach. You got to love Zoom. This is why we, you know, next time you fly uh, in, we're going to do another one in, in person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mike, uh, two things. One, we don't usually have these types of issues because uh, my dogs aren't usually near me when I'm recording. So <laughs> just just <to> Jared. <laughs> <laughs> just Jared's barking. But uh, the second thing, I do have to apologize. I realized I said your name incorrectly and I said I, I meant to say Bristol so I apologize um, but I think what's cool to me about what you just said and the, the question that that JV posed is the growth of the women's game in this country is it's outpacing I think even most uh, progressive concept of what the game was going to do even when you know the women were winning national championships and and uh gold medals and olymp uh and world, world cups. cups and i i would love to hear your thoughts on the growth of the game and where do you see it maybe in the next three to five years i mean do you see what what changes do you see coming well i think with the change that they've made with the full team i think that that the playing style and um, is going to change a, a bit. I think that hopefully with, within our league as well, um, our league's kind of been transitional. I think that, you know, in terms of where things have been at, I think that we've gotten away with being more athletic than most countries and that the soccer side, hopefully in the next three to five years, continues to get better um, in terms of tactics and the ability to play through pressure and, and being comfortable with it because I think that's where, where we've struggled and also being good enough with the ball when teams are going to play in a low block um, to have the, the, the patience and the ideas about how to break those teams down and be successful with it where, okay, if they're, they're playing more compact, you can't just run behind them. Teams have gotten smarter and the coaching has gotten better. The, all the other national teams have really started to put funding into their programs. So I think that everybody's been catching up with the, with us for a while and i think some have started to surpass us and that things are going to have to change a bit in the next three to five years so so how do you as a as a as a coach you know when you when you look at the past 15 years 20 years that you've been in the game you know from a coaching standpoint and you think back to the athleticism that was paramount uh, in the dominance that was the U.S. women's team. And then, you know, if you, if you took a list of the top 50 players in the world, you know, 42 of them were going to be American women, you know, 20 years ago. That number has significantly declined. And yep. I'm curious, when you were watching uh, uh, Japan, when you were watching the German women, when, when you were watching most recently Spain, and you're watching their style of play and the technical ability, the speed of play, kind of completely polar opposite of the style of play that we 
our women's program is implemented for the last 30, 40 years. What was going through your head as somebody in a position to kind of address that? Uh, did you see it as, oh, shit, here they come? Or, okay, we have a new challenge because the quality of play that these other nations are, are putting together on the field, it, it, it is to a degree superior to what we play. We can still win games, but how do you approach it moving forward being on staffs that have a say? Yeah, I think for us, it's it's about developing the players and getting them comfortable. Um, you know, that was our whole thing when, when we were at Florida State was developing them to be ready to be pros. And I think that we were somewhat unique. There's probably eight, ten schools in the country that really valued the ball at the college level. Um, and we wanted to really try to be the pioneer in that and make show people that you could value the ball and you could still win championships to try to get more people um to buy into that sort of style. Okay, uh, let me interrupt you. Um, value the ball. Define that real quick, and then, you know, please proceed. Yeah, so j just that we're going to be comfortable and that we're not just hitting a ball behind the back line or getting a ball forward because we're around our goal, that we're truly going to value it. We want to have the ball and make the other team chase, and then we lose it. We want to win it back as quickly as possible. And, you know, it's funny now being in this role and, and talking to some of the players before the draft, and talking about what our vision is and keeping the keeping the ball and torturing teams and some of the kids would laugh about it like yeah you did torture us when you were coaching there <laughs> we didn't get it and all we did was we chased and chased and chased um so that that's really just being calm and comfortable and picking your moments of when you want to go forward controlling the tempo of the game um and, and making sure that you value it yeah and I, I see in your roster you have quite a few former um I guess not enemies, but folks that you played against when you were at Florida <laughs> State. And uh, what I love about the you you know the women's game on the professional side is you look at the roster; it's ninety five percent American players, and you compare that then to the MLS, and you've got it's almost flipped. Um, and the one trend that's I think affecting both sides now, and I looked at your roster, and you have. Miss Brittany, or no, Chloe Ricketts, who's a 16-year-old um, coming out of the team this year, not going to college. Um, we have, and I mentioned her at the top of the show, um, but our, our own Pfeiffer, who got picked up by Casey Current and is now on the U17 uh, national team going to the World Cup. So I'd love your thoughts on that side of it. You know, just these younger, continually younger athletes being not only prospects but signed and playing and getting first team minutes just would love to hear what you think about that well hopefully it will help um the full team in the long run in terms of those players being in the environments and and continuing to develop um and being pushed for for the full group i think that it, it has to be right for the individual um and that they're wanting to be a pro um you know a lot of the, the players now they're younger, whether it's right or wrong, they've decided they want to be a pro pretty young and in their homeschooling so they can train through the course of the day and they're already set up almost like a professional player. Um, so I guess I don't think that's right for everybody, but if that's their goal and dream and they're that serious and committed about it um, and then they've got the ability to do it, then it makes sense. 
And I think you guys might have the record for the largest gap between your youngest and your oldest player. I'm sure we do. <laughs> Nicole Barnhart as a 42-year-old goalie that you get to work with on a regular basis. Um, that's really cool, man. And so, you know, so, think- so did the two of you trade records or CDs? You know, concert <laughs> exactly. tickets. I'll tell you the best thing is seeing Nicole Barnhart sitting and eating with Chloe Ricketts and them having conversations. Nicole Barnhart's got to be one of the best human beings I've ever been around. That's she's awesome. Absolutely fantastic. Hey, hey, Mike, let me let me ask you this. Um, it, it was kind of like when you, when Zach was talking about the young players and these pathways, and you were talking about the homeschooling. You know, one one of the subjects that always comes up in our discussions is the high school versus club debate and the experiences and the value prop one way or the other. You know, you you are a product of a high school environment. It was a unique high school environment from, you know, the pedigree and, and the success, et cetera. Um, fast forward to today, when you look at the landscape and you kind of peep in the rearview mirror and you look at where these players have been uh, coming from historically, what is occurring now at the top with the Alex Pfeiffer's of the world uh, and, and your new signing that are, you know, 15, 16 years old. And then you look at the landscape of the 7,000 acronyms of leagues and, you know, pay to play and versus public high schools versus private high schools, all this stuff. What What's your take on it? Like, from a pathway perspective and how do you, how would you advise players that are coming up through the pipe? Which road to to haul? I think there's, there's a few ways to look at it. We deal with it at times before the state of players are asking us, you know, should I play high school? Should I just do club? Um, And I think it's different for each player. Sometimes players need or need to develop as a leader. And sometimes they're going to get that when they go off to high school, they're going to go there and they're coming from a different club and into a high school that maybe isn't the elite level. And they're going to go in and now the pressure is going to be put on them to lead that team and now take a new role from what they do at their club team. And it's going to make them a more well-rounded player. There are some players that they may be in an area that the high school is really bad and the player has the ability that maybe they're in with national teams and they're going, look, some of them can't pass and trap a ball. It's not the right environment. So I think it's each individual's circumstances of what they have. And then you have to look at what is the right pathway. I don't think there's one right pathway for anybody. Um, and, and it's kind of looking at those different, what are you going to gain and what are you going to lose by being in one and then comparing it to the other one to really choose what path you should be taking. Do, do you see the potential or the inevitability of an accelerated academy on the women's side that will potentially match um, what MLS Next is doing with the MLS squads, you know, and then you look at the academy systems in which it's not a debate anymore. They, they are going to be told, here's your path. This is our, you know, uh, pro pathway. Um, do you think that the women's side is going to move into that direction over time? I think over time it probably will be. I mean, relatively, the young still re- the league is still relatively young, mm-hmm. um, and so I think even as all the organizations in terms of developing a youth model um, as a pathway, I would imagine that because of 
pretty much everywhere in the world with with the pro levels there typically is some sort of a feeder system um what that'll look like for each club i have no idea but i do think that in the future it will be i just don't know how far away it is yep cool go ahead zach i i want to move into a different area for a little bit which is you have worked on the staffs of some of the the most highly prolific teams um on the women's college side now with the spirit um and this might be a, a, a big of a personal question, but are, do you ever have the desire or did you ever have the desire to do the head coaching side of it? Or are you comfortable being more on the, the technical staff, you know, leading trainings and developing players than you are the, the more kind of gamesmanship side of things? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, I've had opportunities. I've turned everything down. I really like kind of being more in the weeds of, of working and grinding and doing that side of it. I'm not sure I'm as big of a meeting guy and having to deal with the leagues. And uh, sometimes I'm not sure how well that would go with uh, sometimes I'm a little, probably too blunt. Um, that would be that cannonball reference. Uh, yes, that I mentioned. Yes. <laughs> so I, I've really enjoyed um, kind of the, the roles that I've had of really developing the players and being in the middle of that. Um, I think that you lose a little bit of that once you go into the, the head coaching role, there may be a point in time, but, I think it'd be much later for me um, to go that route. I, I like being on the field more and being involved with all of them and, and helping develop in that regard. Hey, back, back in the day, Mike, um, at the collegiate level, how involved were you in the recruiting process at these schools? Yeah, I was a recruiting coordinator at Florida State after my second year, third year. Um, so I did all the recruiting there, and then I'm the director of our player personnel now. So I've ran our draft the last two years um, at the Spirit. So, so okay. So the second half of the question then is this: uh, There's a lot of families that listen to the show, so consider this a potential of a tutorial uh, <laughs> from a you know because you you sat in the catbird seat you were one that made these decisions and created opportunities and, and frankly made dreams happen for you know an untold number of girls um what do you look for as a recruiter as a talent scout what are some of the things on your list are that are you know the top three things that you're looking for assuming the soccer skills are there yeah so i, I think that's the the first thing is we're not looking at a player if they're not good. I mean, that's just kind of people kind of will be looking at that side of it. It's the end of the day, there's going to be a level that pretty much of them are hitting that level. The big things for me, especially now, I watched somebody as I was getting ready for the draft because I wanted to know the culture of the, of the person. Um, and I hadn't talked to the coach yet. I went and watched the whole warm up, and they were by far the best player on their team. And they're doing their warm up, and as soon as the warm up ends, with one piece of it, she's the only person on the team. She's picking up cones to hand it to the uh, the student helper. It's like, okay, check. I wanted to know whether she was a what sort of person she was, and then I watched her interact with some players, was close enough to be able to hear things that were being said, um, and she was a good leader. And then even to the the walkout of coming out with uh, the little kids because it was a, um, a higher level game. So they had kids there that they were walking out and they come out and then she's bent down and could tell that she was explaining 
to the young girl how this was going to take place um, and talking to her, making her comfortable. So for me, one of the biggest things is I'm, I'm looking to find out about the culture. And when I was doing it for the college level, you know, you'll see how somebody talks to their coach, their parent, how they're approaching the warm up, you know, what sort of a person is it? Because one of the things it probably took us seven, eight years to get the culture right at Florida State. Um, but when we got it right at the end, it was a smooth oiled machine. It was pretty easy. Um, and then they start weeding anybody out that doesn't fit in if they've somehow slipped through the cracks. Um, but that was probably the number one thing for me there. And it's the number one thing here. I did Zoom, Zoom calls um, with any player that we were going to possibly um, take in the draft. And that was typically a 40 minute call because I wanted to see their face and I wanted to hear them answer questions and see what their reaction was, what their facial expressions were. So if I knew I was getting the right answer or the truthful answer, um and really get a good feel for them as a person so that's kind of how i've done it here and going out and seeing them live on the recruiting trail it was going and seeing how they were interacting with their teammates i mean i've seen players yell and scream at their coach on a field and it's like there's no way in heck that kid would ever play for us at Florida State. <laughs> and, and there were good ones there were kids that were going to top top schools and how they'd interact with their teammates it was some players would just be written off. I mean, even for the draft through Zoom calls this past year and the year before, I think I eliminated six players that were no chance that they would play for us. And I already wow. had a small number that I really valued anyways going into the draft. So the culture piece is huge for me um, in terms of you don't ever know who's watching. And I think that that's, that's probably a tough one for somebody to change unless they have an eye-opening moment right now that they're going to change who they are. Um, but that's a big one for me is that if they are good enough, but they don't hit that piece, there's no way we're bending up. We're not taking them. Yeah. We've heard, I think from most of the coaches, a similar idea of culture being a very critical piece. And as JB and Jared and I are all preparing our kids for the next level, which is my son's a sophomore in high school. So he's going to be eligible on, you know, June 15th of this year. And I constantly remind him that the coaches that are looking at you are, are checking you out on video. They're checking you out in person. So they know from a soccer standpoint, whether you have it or you don't, but then they're going to start calling your coaches. They're going to start watching you in pregame. They're going to start watching you on the sideline um, because they want to be able to weed somebody out or find that person who might not make it a hundred percent, you know, on the, on the skill side, but if they can bring something to the team on a leadership perspective or just some intangibles, I think those are really important. So I really appreciate you saying that. And I think we might have to, you know, highlight that part, JB can promote that out to the, the folks, but I, I do think that's a, a very insightful look into, you know, how you have made choices and how, how you making those choices have helped elevate your career, obviously, yeah. uh, because you've, you've trained and, and coached successfully driven teams and players. So that's great. I think the other thing for me is, you know, so that would be the first one. The next one, I'll kind of give you the three things that it kind of would be big things for me is you're tracking the players, especially for somebody that's coming in to either the college environment or somebody that we're going to take at the pro level. I want to know where the players are at. At. Are they continuing to grow as a player? Are they getting better every year? Are they staying the same or are they getting worse? How, um, how do you measure that? Like what, what is a metric? If, you, if you're if you watching somebody 
you know, in the role that you're in now, let's say that they are, you know, they're going in as a top prospect D1. They go to Florida State. They have a great freshman year. Going into sophomore year, and you're really maybe due to the position or something, maybe they're really a target for you at 2021. 20, so you're watching them percolate. What are some of the things that you're actually looking for to see that improvement? Well, the college level was easier, and it, they've changed the rules as time has gone on. But back when it was that you could talk to anybody, typically I would talk with a player and the coach about them. And it would be a couple things that I would say, hey, look, they're not good enough in these areas at this time, or they could use growth in these areas. And then you would go back to see if they're getting better in those areas. Um, the, the one thing that that would tell me is one, the player could apply information, which is huge because if you can give them some sort of information and they can apply it, well, now we're in business because we get them there, we're gonna be pumping video that they're not getting at the club level that we can really put into them to develop them. And now it's like, well, they may, they're probably going to have a huge jump when they get in with us. So being able to give them some things that they should be able to improve in as player, and it may be, hey, you need to improve in your heading. If it's a center back or a holding midfielder, you're good, but you need to do this. Hey, you need to use your non-dominant foot more. We want you to look to change the point of attack. You're not scanning enough. You're, you're, you're a ball watcher at this point in time. We need to see how often you're checking your shoulder to know who's around you and what your spacing is based off of that. So we'll give them some different things and then see, are they able to apply those things? Um, you know, the camps were always a big one. If somebody did come into the camp while we were at Florida State, that we could get our hands on them in the camp and say, hey, we want you to be doing this during this game or this activity and put them in through a couple things. And some players can do it immediately. Some struggle and don't change at all. The one that soaks in that information can do it really quickly. Well, then we start getting excited about it. Um, so that's kind of how it was done with the uh, – looking at players coming into Florida State for the, the pro level, somewhat been fortunate because quite a few of the players I know through the ACC and we, that we were playing the top teams and a lot of the players, I saw them as youth players. So, you know, in our draft, I think everybody, but two of them, I actually recruited when I was at Florida State when they were, you know, six, seven years ago. So I've seen them grow as players and what they've improved on, or I've seen other players that have stayed the same or got worse, and there was no way we were going to take them. So that's one of the things always for me. I'm wanting to see that somebody's growing. And then typically the third thing for me is you said you're talking to all these different coaches. I'm speaking to everybody to learn about, about the player. You know, How often are they coming out early? What other training sessions are they going to? Are they coming in asking, can they play at their – a U16 that they can play with the 17s. Can I play with the 15s? How often are they being a pain in your rear end to come and train because they love the game and they want to get better? Um, you know, are they somebody that's like that? What team do they follow? Who are they watching? Are they watching the NWSL? Are they watching the MLS? Are they watching the EPO? Who, what leagues are they watching? Are they a soccer person or is it a hobby? Because I think you'll find a lot of players out there, they play it because they're good. They don't really love it. At the end of the day, the way that we were at Florida State and that we wanted to develop as a pro as a player didn't say that they wanted to be on the national team and they didn't have the aspirations to be a pro, we weren't going to recruit them. If, those, if one of those two things didn't come out of a kid's mouth when I spoke with them, they had no chance. We didn't want them in the environment. you know. And, and it's different for every school. Um, some schools aren't looking to develop the players or pros, or it's okay if they're not going to. We wanted to have a really professional environment um, for us there, so that was really important to us. 
I was going through the draft. The, the season for us is 10 and a half, 11 months long. You don't love the game. It's going to be hard to fake it. Yeah. You know, you might be able to get through a four month college season and now you're into the spring and it's not as serious as some of the schools. So you're really working hard for four months out of 12. Well, now at the pro level, you're having to show up every day for 10 and a half, 11 months. If you don't love the game, it's going to be really hard to be really successful. Let, let me let me flip the script on you a little bit. You know, based yeah. on that based on that logic, based on that kind of expectation at Florida State, be it uh, to play pro and or play national team. Uh, let me let me apply that to you yourself, you know, because yep. you, you you've you've climbed the ladder. You're moving. You you just stated earlier to Zach and Zach's question about the head coaching potential. You're like, well, that's down the road. What is what is your, quote, national team goal? What is your, quote, professional goal, you know, with the game for yourself? For myself, while I was at Florida State, it's kind of changed, but at Florida State, it was to develop as many players as I could to be pros or also have them be at the national team level. Um, so that was kind of the goal and aspiration of how good can I get these players? How, how much further can I extend their careers? Um, you know, and, it, and it's to the same here, but now it's really can you get them into their full team, into the full team? You know, Aubrey, the goalkeeper now, she had been dropped from the team last year. I came in, and then this year was with her, and then she made the World Cup squad. So that was huge, you know, and that was the goal and the aspiration. I said, look, we're going to work this, and we're going to get you to that level again, and we're going to make sure that you get a chance. And now she's been back in with them. Now it's keeping her there and hopefully climbing up, um, where right now she's more viewed as the three and hopefully continue to escalate her on that, on that pecking order. You know, and with other ones – you know, we're always hearing from them after they've been in the camp and what areas they want to see them improve on and then help them in those areas. So they continue to get called in. And if they're not starting, that they are become a starter. So that's kind of how I view myself of developing these players and trying to allow them to reach their dreams. So is, that, is it always the kind of the the next pile of mail is that is that your challenge to like? Yeah, the next player that comes in, like these players that we just drafted, it's like, all right. You know, and right now, last year, I drafted a young goalkeeper and, you know, we put her on another new contract. She had an unbelievable first year, didn't play a minute, but had unbelievable growth. And we were super happy with where she's going. And it's those challenge of how much better can you make these players? And that's kind of the thrill of it for me. Yeah. Um, of, of being that's kind of where I said, when she could become the head coach, you're kind of managing everybody and you're giving them some. But when you're down in the assistant roles and you're around them a lot more um, in terms of the development side and putting that time in with them and all the time and video um, that you're spending with them, that you really get to see them grow and get a good feel for them. So, you know, I think probably is I always wanted to go back to coach Baker. It's always nice. All the players that I hear from that I had at Florida state that went on to be pros that reach back out to you. I think the other thing that, it's an odd way of judging yourself, but I've always felt that if you do a good job, the number of, as Zach was saying earlier, the number of people from Granite City that went on to coach after they were with Coach Baker, um, the number of players that I've had and goalkeepers that I've had that have went on that are coaching now at the collegiate level or coaching at a high school level because they wanted to continue that. I think that you've had to have done something right if they want to continue on and then do it. Yeah, just as long as they don't shave their head like that. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> go, go ahead, Zach. No, I just want to kind of round out my questions with just by starting with an appreciation for your your answers, but also kind of the candor you've you've shown on <clears throat> how important the intangible aspects are when you're looking at recruiting. And I can't think of anybody that we've interviewed thus far who's had more experience in that than you um, at the highest level um, within our, you know, U.S. game. So at, I've been taking notes and I'll be playing this mm -hmm. for folks for a long time. Um, so I guess my, my final question is, what questions should we have asked you? You know, I, I, I <laughs> try to think of questions all day long or, or for days once I realize who we're going to talk to, but I've never said this. Is, is there a question that we should have been asking you based on the fact that you know where our show goes, you know who we talk to and, and kind of the topics? Is there something that we should have asked you, uh, you know, either about your career or about the, your it, player? I, I think my recommendation is uh, probably a lot of people are, are listening to it and they're trying to get their their daughter or their son into the collegiate level. Um, yeah. I think a few of the things that I've seen mistakes on, uh, probably the biggest thing that I've seen is if you're making a highlight tape, it needs to be a highlight tape and have somebody that is an expert look at it before you s send it out to anybody. Because if I'm looking at a player's highlight tape and there's something that's not excellent, then I think that's the best they've got and something like that they're valuing. Yeah. For a kid like that, when I was at Florida state, I'm not even going to show up their field. It's like, if that made it into their highlight tape, there's a big problem here. It should be short, be something that goes, gets the coach's attention to want to see more and then they can see the flaws. But if your highlight tape is long and it's not all really elite and your best stuff, you're making a big mistake. So being a kid from Granite, do you prefer hair metal or gangster rap as the theme music on the highlight videos? <laughs> I like that. I like that. Hey, I'd probably personally go the hair metal, but no, um, I, I well, I knew the answer. I was just giving yeah, another yeah. genre a chance. Yeah, that, that's probably the biggest <laughs> mistake that I would see um, from from different players that would send in. The, the highlight videos, you know, most of it is just making sure that you've got all the information down, anything that they're going to put out that they're proofreading it. The worst thing you can do is have a wrong coach's name or a wrong school's name someplace that you've been carbon copying them. Again, you're not going to get looked at. So, you know, having that attention to detail that if you're going to be sending things to people, make sure that it's professional, because if not, that can ruin your chances pretty fast. Let me, let me ask you kind of a parting, uh, uh, a, a parting question here, and I'm going to bring it back to the Lou. Uh, WPSL, it, you know, it's it, it it's it's growing, it's garnering uh, really good press. It's it, it, you know the the players, the teams. You can tell that there's a fervor for it, right? St. Louis, obviously, we just had our first year. Finally, long overdue, you know, on the men's side. Um, being a homer, um, how cool would it be if and when St. Louis scores their women's team? Uh, what wh what would go through your head when you knew that the potential of the Taylors or someone similar is going to toss up a stadium and bring in a pro team under the arch? Yeah, I, I think it should happen. 
you know, for, for me in terms of soccer in that area, you know, was very popular when it wasn't always popular every place. So I think it should have a home there. And as the teams continue to get added, I know already they're going to be adding Boston in 26 and probably another one with that. Hopefully they'll, they'll be in line for something like that. If there's people trying to bring it in, um, because I think that, that it would do well, obviously, the following that the MLS group has gotten this year in St. Louis has been fantastic. And I think the same would happen with the NWSL team, that they would get that same sort of following um, if there was a women's team there. I, I've always got friends um, going, hey, when, when, when's going to be one here? Are you going to come if they do? Yeah. So I'm, I'm always getting that question. Well, the final question within the uh, your schedule, uh, why why is it the KC current game is an absolute must win? <laughs> <laughs> well, that that one's always a must win cuz usually I've got some family around there. Bingo. Well, there's a lot of different reasons. But hey, hey, we we've we've hit your your time limit. We know you got two littles, a 9 and a 17 month old. Do I is, You got it. Did I get that right? So, uh yeah, you're going to be in the weeds for a while, dude. You know that, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, we're going to let you get back to your life. Hey, Mike, I really appreciate your time. Um, Absolutely. Congratulations on the path, man. What great story. Uh, really love the kind of the, the, the mental approach to your selection, the process. Um, it's, it's just commendable. So kudos to you. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Thank any, you so much. Mike. Anytime, Mike. Shoot. Hey, be good. We'll catch up with you later on. And um Everybody, thank you for listening. We're going to roll out of here. I told you earlier, uh, Radiohead and Brahms, SLSO, February. Check it out. I'm going to kick out with a little airbag from the Radiohead. Like, share, follow, review, all that cool stuff. It's free. We appreciate it, and we'll catch you next time.